1 Corinthians chapter 11. Uh, We'll look at verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he gave thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after cup, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let me pray for us. We praise you and thank you for the means of grace that you have given to your church, and we're so thankful for this word for this word that you've given to us, for the way in which you've used it to radically transform our lives, to save our souls. We ask, O oh Lord, that you'd feed us now from your word and feed us when we get to the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. We'd be glorified as we turn our attention now to your holy word, for we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the fifth chapter of Mark's gospel, a synagogue ruler named Jairus fell down at Jesus' feet. And he pleaded with Jesus to come and uh, heal his little girl. His little girl was age 12. And the text tells us that uh, she was close to death. In fact, she did die, but her time on earth was not yet up, so to speak. Because Jesus raised the little girl from death, and he raised her by the power of his spoken word. He simply said, little girl, I say to you, arise. And the little girl arose. Then Jesus said something very fascinating that has always stuck with me. Jesus said, give her something to eat. In other words, give her some food. I think that whole story finds something of a a parallel in our own Christian experience. Prior to conversion, we were all spiritually dead in transgressions and sins. We were not sick. We were not wounded. We were stone-cold dead. But the Lord raises his elect from spiritual death. He does so when the Holy Spirit performs his mighty divine work of regeneration. He makes the elect of God alive in Christ Jesus. Then those new creations in Christ Jesus need to grow in Christ Jesus. They need some spiritual food. Where is the spiritual food? It's in the means of grace that God has given to his church. It's in the word of God. The new believer needs the pure spiritual milk of God's word, and then he or she needs the spiritual meat. But the new believer also needs the nourishment that comes through prayer and through the sacraments of the church to include the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted the sacrament of the Lord's Supper when he was having the Passover meal with his disciples. And he placed a brand new interpretation upon the elements that were used for the Passover meal. For example, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body which is given for you. By the way, few words have uh, stirred up so much division and so much controversy in church history Like those words, this is my body. Uh, You devout students of church history would recall that uh, Martin Luther and Ulrich Zwingli uh, met together at the Marburg Colloquy, and they found agreement in 14 major theological points. But they could not agree on the sacraments of the Lord's Supper. 
Luther reportedly just kept banging on the table and saying over and over again, this is my body, this is my body, this is my body. Luther insisted upon the bodily presence of Christ by, with, and under the communion elements. He rejected the Roman Catholic view of the Lord's Supper, which is that of transubstantiation. And by the way, the Roman Catholics, as you probably know, refer to the sacrament as the Mass. And they insist upon a couple of so-called miracles taking place in the Mass. One is that the bread and the fruit of the vine literally become the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. A second is the bread and the fruit of the vine still retain all the qualities of bread and the fruit of the vine. And so the bread still looks like bread, the bread still tastes like bread, but lo and behold, we are told it's really the body of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Roman Catholics regard the Mass as a bloodless sacrifice, but a sacrifice nonetheless. But you know, there's no getting around the biblical truth that their view is a denial of the once-for-all perfect sacrifice of Jesus, which is one of the reasons why the Westminster Confession of Faith refers to the Mass as blasphemous. i got to tell you a story. I once had a uh, a man stopped by our church, and uh, this was during the week a couple of years ago, and, uh, and he asked me if our church holds to the Westminster Confession of Faith, and uh, I very proudly said, yes, yes, we do. And he told me he really liked the Westminster Confession of Faith, but he had a serious problem with the Westminster divines referring to the Mass as blasphemous. Then the man said to me, I don't think that we should ever criticize somebody else's theological views. I just stood there with this uh, goofy grin on my face that uh, my wife has probably seen thousands of times before. And I didn't say what I probably should have said. I probably should have said, well, I guess you should apply your own principle." And I guess you should not speak critically of the theological views of the Westminster divines. Let's remember what the author of Hebrews teaches us. The author of Hebrews says of the Old Testament priests that day after day, they stood and performed the same sacrifices which could never take away sins. The author of Hebrews says it's impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. But what does he say about Jesus? When Christ offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Think of what Jesus declared from the cross. He said, it is finished. So don't let any false teacher, don't let any priest tell you that it's not finished. Jesus said it is. Can I add what we studied in Revelation chapter 5 not so long ago on Sunday mornings? I'll remind you of that great heavenly song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood you purchased lost sinners for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. It's finished. That's why we worship it saying Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Just say no. 
just say no to the Roman Catholic view of transubstantiation. But also say no to the Lutheran view of consubstantiation. When you say that the body of Christ is present by, with, and under the communion elements, you are mixing and confusing the two natures of Christ. The body of Christ belongs to his human nature. The body of Christ is present today in heaven. The body of Christ cannot be present today in heaven and North Fort Myers at the same time. Can't be present at North Fort Myers and South Asia and West Africa and Eastern Canada at the same time because the body of Christ is limited to one place. Actually, the, uh, the Lutheran view uh, bears a striking resemblance to the teaching of Eutychus all the way back in the uh, 5th century. Eutychus taught that the one divine nature of the, of the Lord Jesus Christ is one theanthropic nature. Uh, There's a big theological word you could toss out uh, over Sunday lunch somewhere. Uh, Theanthropic means God-man. Eutyches mixed and confused the two natures of Christ into one nature, one that wasn't quite fully divine. I mean, after all, Jesus died on the cross. But also one that is more than just human. And by the way, Eutyches was condemned as a heretic at the 5th century Council of Chalcedon. Yes, Jesus said of the bread, this is my body. But he also said things like, I'm the vine. He said, I'm the door. Let me use that as an example. When he said, I'm the door, he was not saying that he was a seven foot by three foot wood panel that's three inches thick. He was using an obvious metaphor. With that metaphor, he was teaching he is the only entrance into eternal life. to say, we're going to have a really hard time interpreting Scripture if we miss obvious metaphors that are found throughout the pages of Scripture. I'm sure I can think of some examples. For example, uh, Joseph had uh, a dream in which uh, seven healthy cows were devoured by seven scrawny cows, and Joseph said to Pharaoh, the seven cows are seven years. Think of Daniel. Daniel also had some dreams, as you know, and one of those dreams He saw a statue with a head of gold. Then Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, you are the head of gold. Think of what Jesus says in Revelation. Seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. Think of what John the Baptist said of Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He was not saying that Jesus was walking on four feet in woolly. Right? Right? He's describing what Jesus was going to do in his once-for-all perfect sacrifice for sins. Jesus' words, this is my body, are not to be taken literally. In fact, none of the disciples took his words literally. None of the disciples thought he just grew an additional appendage to the hand that's holding the bread. They understood the broken bread was symbolic. The broken bread would be symbolic of his suffering on the cross. They didn't understand that then, but later on they would. The fruit of the vine was symbolic of his blood that was shed, that we might have the forgiveness of sins. Jesus said, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This means the sacrament of the Lord's Supper is a reminder 
of the past saving work of Jesus on the cross. It is a memorial, but it is not a mere memorial. This is where the vast majority of evangelical churches today are better in practice than they are in theory. Uh, In theory, they hold to the memorial view, or it's sometimes called the Zwinglian view. They might even call the sacrament communion. But they don't regard the sacrament as a means of grace in which you can enjoy sweet communion with the triune God. They regard the sacrament as a mere reminder of the past saving work of Jesus. But I would submit to you, one can hardly think of the past saving work of Jesus without drawing nearer to God. One can hardly think about what Jesus did for you on the cross without enjoying sweet communion with the Savior. So again, I would say their practice is actually way better than their theory. Our theory, known as the Reformed view, goes beyond the memorial view of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. In our view, we recognize the spiritual presence of Christ in the sacrament. In the Reformed view, we recognize the sacrament is a means of grace that is given to God's people. This is a good time to remember that uh, grand imitation that Jesus gives to his people in the third chapter of Revelation. He says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come and eat with him and he with me. I should remind you of what uh, Paul wrote in the previous chapter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Uh, In talking about the Israelites of old, he says, The Israelites of old all ate the same spiritual food. They all drank the same spiritual drink. He says they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them. And that rock, he says, was Christ. That is a testimony to the spiritual presence of Christ with his people, even in the Old Testament. So how much more should we expect his spiritual presence with his people in the New Testament? His people commune with him through prayer. His people commune with him through the study of his word. And his people also commune with him through the sacraments of the Lord's Supper. What does the very word communion imply? Doesn't it imply communication? The sacraments of the Lord's Supper is a good time to communicate to God. Your hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You might even silently pray what we sometimes sing, not the labors of my hands can fulfill thy law's demands. Could my zeal no respite know? Could my tears forever flow? All for sin could not atone. Thou must save and thou alone. Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee for dress, helpless look to thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, wash me, Savior, or I die. You communicate to God those great gospel truths, and God in turn communicates his blessings to his people. God might communicate the great, ple- the great blessing of assurance of pardon. God might communicate to you the reminder of his great faithfulness or his unfailing love for you. He might even use the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to remind his people there is a great banquet in heaven that awaits all those who believe in Jesus. 
In fact, when we come to the sacraments, we should look back, look back to the past saving work of Jesus. We should hope to enjoy sweet communion with Jesus, with the triune God. But we should also look forward to the great banquet in heaven that awaits all those who are trusting in the Savior. I remind you that uh, one of the nicknames of Reformed theology is covenant theology. The sacrament of the Lord's Supper is a powerful reminder of God's great covenant faithfulness. Jesus took the cup and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. The great covenant principle you find throughout Scripture is, I will be your God, you will be my people. And by the way, that covenant of grace goes all the way back to the third chapter of Genesis, all the way back to the first promise of the Messiah who was to come. And of course, the covenant of grace would include uh, the covenant of preservation with Noah. It would include the covenant of promise that was given to Abraham. It also includes uh, the covenant of law that was given through Moses. Keep in mind that God gave his law to a redeemed people a people that have been delivered by God and his power from bondage in Egypt. And again, I would say there was always an evangelical aspect that was built into the sacrifices of the Old Testament. All of those sacrifices were always pointing forward and pointing to the once-for-all perfect sacrifice of Jesus. The covenant of grace also includes God's covenant with David. It also includes the promised new covenant you read about in Jeremiah 31. And I love those words from Jeremiah 31. God says, I'll remember your sins and your lawless deeds no more. How can God forgive the sins of sinful people like us? How can God justify the ungodly? Only because Christ died for the ungodly. Christ is the mediator of a new covenant. Jesus kept the commands of the covenant of law that sinful people like us might know the wonders of God's grace. Jesus was regarded as a lawbreaker on the cross of Calvary that the real lawbreakers like us could be declared perfectly righteous. That's why we marvel and sing, I guess, what we're about to sing uh, coming up. And alas, and did my Savior bleed. We also sing things like his oath, his covenant, his blood, support me in the whelming flood. When all around my soul gives way, he then is all my hope and stay on Christ, the solid rock I stand, all the ground, the sinking sand. Now, there, there have been disagreements over the frequency with which the church should celebrate the Lord's Supper. John Calvin called for a weekly observance, but he summed for less. Zwingli called for a quarterly observance, which in my mind is not frequent enough, but that's just my humble opinion. I think the early church probably celebrated the Lord's Supper every time they had a worshiping assembly. I read in the second chapter of Acts, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. Let me offer up a reminder. Let me offer up the reminder that uh, if we had actually witnessed the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ, we would have been profoundly impacted by his awful sacrificial death. 
I think that we would do really well to pray that we would be powerfully affected by the visible representation of his death in the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. That should move our hearts, and it should move our hearts to ponder great truths like, alas, and did my Savior bleed, did my sovereign die? Would he devote that sacred head for such a worm as I? Was it for crimes that I have done he groaned upon the tree? Amazing pity, grace, unknown, love beyond degree. praise God for the sacraments of the Lord's Supper that he's given to his church. Let's praise God for all the means of grace that the Savior has given to us. May we be reminded in the sacrament of the past saving work of Jesus. May we look forward to the great banquet in heaven that awaits those who are trusting in Jesus. And may we enjoy sweet communion with the triune God as we prepare for the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, again, we want to praise you and thank you from whom all blessings flow. We thank you for the great blessing of the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. And I pray that as we prepare for the table, that you be pleased to prepare our hearts to be in awe of the wonders of a salvation we don't deserve. May we truly look back to the past saving work of Jesus. May we look forward to that great banquet in heaven that awaits those who trust in him. And may we enjoy the sweetest communion with you through this means of grace you've given to your church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.